Mindfulness Mode, Episode 33. We just take that moment and find a deeper level of stillness. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, now we can exchange mindfulness thoughts and ideas. Join the Mindfulness Mode Facebook group, just called Mindfulness Mode Group. See you there. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Aaron Green Sherwood on the line today. Hey, Aaron, are you in Mindfulness Mode? I sure am, Bruce. I sure am. That's great. Aaron Green Sherwood is a Tai Chi and Qigong instructor. He also teaches meditation and is a gifted body worker. Aaron is from the United States and offers personal sessions and group workshops in the U.S. Aaron has dedicated his life to helping others with mindfulness and movement. He believes these elements have tremendous power to heal and transform a person. So, Aaron, what's happening in your life right now? Well, uh, lots of things. I'm building a a workshop series. I ran a studio teaching Tai Chi and Qigong for a little bit and decided to close that down and expand my teaching uh, across the nation. I'm uh, expanding my workshop series into weekends and week retreats and uh, even got some international uh, workshops coming up, going all the way up to British Columbia. So I'm excited about that. And then uh, I've got two little ones. So uh, whenever I'm not off teaching, I'm the stay-at-home main caregiver for my three-year-old daughter and my one-year-old son. And, well, they keep me really, really, really busy. I bet they do. That's great. I'm just wondering, how old were you when you realized that mindfulness and these kinds of things were going to be part of your life? I started real young. I I was an odd uh, an odd child because I remember I didn't think anything of it. But as I look back, I must have looked rather odd, begging, pleading, crying my mother at age fourteen to take me to the downtown New Age bookstore because I found out that they had a yoga class going on. Ah. And uh, I just uh, there was something in me that was always like, you need to be doing some sort of this really, this is what you should be doing, even mm-hmm. at that young age. And I didn't think anything of it. But like I said, as I look back, I think maybe the other people in the class might have thought it was a little odd that here was this 14-year-old boy uh, <laughs> making this uh, epic journey to get down to a yoga class. Right. And so from that point on, did you consistently do yoga through your teens? I did yoga through my teens. I practiced Hatha quite diligently, and then I got into a more forceful method of kundalini yoga. I did, when I went to massage school in my early 20s, I actually developed a vispasana practice, and then I also got into a lot of mind-body practices such as Alexander, Feldenkrais, Gestalt, uh, mind-body somatic therapeutic approaches, if that makes sense to you. Right. Well, some of those things make sense, but I'm wondering if you'll kind of expand on those details with Mindful Tribe, because we have listeners who will not know what all of those things are. So the first one, you were talking about a specific kind of yoga. Can you tell us about that? Hatha yoga is just the basic yoga that you find nowadays everywhere. It's it's actually exploded. They use a lot of breath work to bring a really strong sense of awareness and clarity to all the different processes in your body. 
And it's not just this physical stretch make you really limber. It's 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 really the basic practice is to develop a strong present consciousness in your flesh so that you can maintain that as you delve deeper and deeper into the layers of your mind. So it's more of a preparatory. I trained it more as a preparatory practice. Right. Okay. And tell us about some of those other specialties. Then the Kundalini Yoga was more about just building energy and going more into the the spine and developing really, really strong nerves so that as the meditations released deeper and deeper levels of who and what I was, my nervous system could handle it. I didn't, you know, spin out into, uh, you know, emotional episodes or mental states that weren't unhealthy. The whole idea is that you build up the capacity of your system so that you can handle what you're going to uncover through your mindful meditation, through your being present with what's going on in your body. So do you concentrate more on mindfulness with certain kinds of yoga, or is it kind of equal across the different types of yoga? Um, I, you know, I ha- I've been out of the yoga, yoga f- uh, arena for several years, so I can't comment on what's going on today. It's like any other practice. My, uh, my advice to anybody would be buyer beware that, yes, all the practices can be good, but in the, in the world we live in now, and because it's becoming more and more popular, some people are, and I don't want to judge them, but sometimes they, they put together a program that, that may or may not be as helpful as it could be as more as that is, is easier to sell. So my suggestion, my, my, my comment to most people starting out is to uh, really scratch the surface of any practice before you put a lot of time, energy, and money into it. Really make sure that it has some depth and some real-world applications for you, for your own personal um, journey. Sure, that makes sense. Aaron, can you talk about Qigong for a minute? Tell us a little bit about that and how mindfulness plays a role in that. Uh, Qigong is an ancient exercise. It's from China. Um, the basic root of the word is chi. Chi is just a life force energy. Chi is that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you're like, yep, I can get a lot done today. I'm full of life. I'm full of energy. You, you know, we use those words in our everyday language. Um, so chi is life force energy. Gung or gung fu. Gung is the skill acquired through hard work. And when you put those two words together, basically it means the cultivation or the practice of encouraging, smoothing out, and cultivating more life energy. So that's why that that's the root of the word qigong. Um, as far as how mindfulness works into these exercises, I mean it's the key component. If you just uh, do a lot of these exercises without the mindful component, you're missing out on almost eighty percent of the benefit of what can be had. And uh, I'll just say this: one of the reasons that I use qigong is that it provides a really, really definitive feedback mechanism for whether you're being present and being mindful of your practices. Because you're using your physical body, it's not just um, internal states or internal experiences you're having. Because you're using your physical body, you can get direct feedback of whether there's gaps in your awareness, whether that mindfulness has gone away and come back 
whether that particular strength of mindfulness that you have is as smooth and clean as clear as it possibly can be. That's the number one reason that I love the, the love the practice and teaching. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Now, many of our Mindful Tribe listeners have children at home, so we'd just be interested to know how you apply mindfulness when you're with your children and just in everyday life. Well, basically, it's just to understand where the children are at. You know, to keep that open mind and, and that ability to to see where they're at. You know, it's not that my three-year-old is ripping the toy out of my one-year-old's hand because she wants to be cruel. It's that she just hasn't developed those skills yet. So I see a lot of other parents that use these these punishment modes and that it's, it, yeah, it, 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 it learns a lesson in the moment, mm-hmm. but there's no longer education as far as like the emotional state for the children. So I just use it really basically to a recognize and manage, you know, the chaotic environment of anybody who's ever had more than one kid right? for myself and to keep myself calm without firing and flying off the handle about what is really inconsequential things. We had a, we had a really great moment the other day and my wife, it was actually my wife and I we were both sitting there and I can't remember exactly the details of what the my little three-year-old wanted, but she wanted something. And we were like, no, you can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And it was something inconsequential. And, and, and the three-year-old was just like, well, why not? And it was, you know, one of those things that was, it was, it was like, you know, why can't we have pancakes at night or breakfast at night or something? Sure. And, then we, me and the wife just had this moment where we, where we both looked at each other and we realized, hey, you know what? We're stuck in this particular mindset of what is right and what is wrong. But there was no reason that we couldn't give our child what she needed and what she wanted. And it all ended up really nice. It was just that moment where we realized, like, okay, why were we so resistant to this idea other than the fact that we had decided that it was wrong? Right. And that that was just a really, really clear, poignant moment for us where we realized, like, okay, what what is right and what is wrong when it comes to, you know, giving a child those finding that balance between, you know, giving a child what she needs, giving a child what she wants and, you know, where all of our uh, ideas of right and wrong come from just for me and the wife, me and my wife. So I think that was a really good example as far as like, oh. You know, just the moment we took a step back and recognized the larger picture that was going on, it was really instructive for us. Right. That's a great story, Aaron. Aaron, I'm sure you have lots of examples of how mindfulness has improved your life, but was there ever a time when you felt like it just wasn't working? <laughs> yes, a lot of times. A lot of times. Um One of my biggest struggles, uh, especially younger, was with my family, and I just never felt like I fit in, and it was, I could always understand other people. I could always go to that more open, expanded mental space and accept and be compassionate of others, and and for me, whenever I tried to apply it to any kind of personal relationship in my family, it would always just falter. And it was usually, you know, typical family stuff. Right. But it was one of those things that always made me question, like, okay, what is, what is the failing here? Where is, am I just not being mindful enough? 
or am I not being mindful enough of the right thing? Should I be less focused on the emotions and more focused on, you know, what the actual mental generation of this, this stress is, or, you know, something along those lines. And that was always, that's always been a struggle for me. Yeah. There was always with my family that there was always a particular stress. So that was always, that's always been really, really fascinating for me to watch. Right. That is interesting. I'm, I'm just going to talk to you about your career, and I know that you work one-on-one with a lot of clients, and you do a lot of work in, in workshop form as well. Have you ever had a specific challenge with one of your clients, and you just thought, geez, I, I'm just not, not reaching this client, and then mindfulness kind of played a role and helped you through it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll have to say that happens at least once a week, if not sometimes <laughs> two or three times a day. In a lot of my hands-on work, uh, we explore some of the emotional components to people's long-term chronic stress and chronic uh, health issues. And it can be, for me and for the client, I mean, the client has been so wrapped up and so, I mean, this is this issue has been you know, with them for five, 10, 15 years. And, you know, they've been through the gambit of every professional and, you know, they're, they've been cut on and they've been, you know, drugged and they've tried everything. And sometimes I even find myself going down that spiraling rabbit hole of all the previous ideas of what this particular issue could be. And then usually at that point, I run into a wall, the the therapy slows down, the client starts to get resisting. There's just this, oh, this is the same old thing. Mm -hmm. And it's usually at that point that I take a break. um, We just take that moment and find a deeper level of stillness. Um, We we just, you know, sometimes just, just that one step back can illuminate that one tiny piece of information, that one small, subtle grain of sand that was irritating that, that person for, you know, however long. And it's when you just take that step back from wherever you happen to be, wherever that resistance happens to be nine times out of 10 for me, that's usually when we actually get to that deeper layer. We get to that kernel of truth, that kernel of understanding, and that allows the client to reframe everything. And that usually Heal, uh, that really helps their healing journey continue. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, and it's everything from hands-on to helping somebody, you know, learn a, learn a, learn a Qigong pattern to somebody who's known a Qigong pattern that just can't pl- break through past that next level of training. And you, again, like I said, it's always the subtle things and the subtle things can't be noticed when you're too close and too focused and too dialed into a point. But when you just maintain that awareness and that mindfulness as it grows and grows and grows and and you just allow it to go out, you begin to recognize that one, the subtleties, the subtleties. And, and, and then once you recognize it, then you can help mitigate whatever happens to be the issue. Right. That makes total sense. I want to talk about discipline, Aaron. Our Mindful Tribe listeners sometimes say they have trouble staying disciplined with the daily practice of mindfulness. What are your thoughts? You know, that's 
that's part of being the human condition that I've found. I mean, that's just part of being human. Um, in the Chinese tradition and all, most of the, the, the Eastern meditation traditions, they have a term called the monkey mind. Yes. And that's just that mind that goes from one thing to another, to another, to another. And there's no real ability to stay focused and present on one particular thing. Um, and again, it's, it's just, it's something that come that we all are, that we all have yeah. as far as disciplines. I've seen it both. I have seen, uh, where practitioners with really, really great tools, let their discipline go so lax that, you know, they constantly have to be reminded that, Oh, well, have you, have you tried a B and C for your condition that you're expressing discomfort with? And they're like, Oh yeah, no, I haven't. Great idea. I should get back into that practice. And then I've seen the whole entire spectrum all the way to the other side where you have somebody who does whatever their practice is religiously, like feverish, feverishly religiously, like, you know, two, three hours a day. Mm -hmm. like, and, it, and it's very intense. And you would think that with that kind of effort and amount of, of, of work put in, that most issues would go through, but I've actually found that that actually creates a certain amount of stress just as much as the other side of the spectrum. So, I mean, I'm a little bit biased towards uh, a balanced point of view. Right. Um, and I, my tradition that I teach from, they have a, a, a phrase called the golden mean and it's called, it's basically a 70% principle. Um, it's a little bit, it goes against the Western mindset of, do 120%. And if you don't do 120%, then you're no good. You might as well not go home. Um, it, it, it's more from that do just enough, just enough that you're doing something and moving forward, but not enough that you're taxing your system, not enough that your the, the, the point of diminishing returns has been created where you are working on something and you get a little bit of a breakthrough, you get a little bit of an opening, you get a little bit of something that you've been working on, be satisfied and happy with that rather than going for the next step right away. And I mean, it can really be a golden thread that goes through most practices. And I found that once people find that perfect tune between too loose and too tight, but they get it right in the middle where they can just find that perfect tone, that perfect pitch, that perfect note for them, then their practice can grow at an exponential rate, and it doesn't require as much effort as one would one would think. Right. So, so that's my thoughts on discipline because I've 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 been both. Like I said, back in the youth, I was I was I believe the appropriate term was crazy, <laughs> and then that kind of backlashed into the appropriate term being very, very lazy. Mm -hmm. And now I'd like to think that I'm right in the middle, just right where I need to be just enough that I'm moving forward, but not so much that, you know, other things in my life are falling by the wayside. Right. Right. So that's just my, my thoughts on that. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Aaron. I've worked in bullying prevention for some time and I've seen how the practice of mindfulness can really make a positive difference in the lives of people who have been bullied. Do you have a story about bullying and mindfulness? Uh, I had a few, 
I was thinking about when uh, you asked me to come on the program, and the one that comes to mind now, uh, it was uh, I, I was uh, I was in Portland, Oregon, and um, I was uh, just had started out my massage and healing practice, and that was uh, taking a while to get built. So I ended up taking a job as a waiter in a local uh, restaurant. And uh, by that time, I had done a, a, my fair bit of martial arts, and uh, you know, sure. I wasn't I wasn't afraid of very few people in the world. Right. Um. And there was this one cook, and he I saw it when I started, and he was a large guy, and you could tell that you know he was not afraid to throw down. And I just I just knew it. I was just like, okay, well, we're gonna come to blows, and. You know what? One of us is either going to lose his job, and the other one's going to get hurt. But you know that's just that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, I just knew it because there was just there was just too much testosterone rage between the two of us. Ah. And it was a really busy night, and I'm you know I'm still new at the job, so I'm trying to figure things out. And this particular cook has just taken it upon himself to make my life miserable. Just every little which way that he can, you know, distress me, he's doing his best job. And normally at that point, um, you know, like I said, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder as a young kid. I probably would have thrown, you know, something at him followed by several fists or at least at least an insult or two. And at the time, I was doing a tremendous amount of Feldenkrais work where, where the Feldenkrais is a, a bodywork method that's really steeped in awareness. And I just, I went out into the, the uh, where did I go? I think I went in the break room and just took a moment just to become acutely aware of myself and my surroundings and what was going on in my emotional state. And I realized like, this was a, this was a habit that this, this, these reactions that I had were habits and that I, I was making the choice for them to allow to go down this point. And I walked back out. I walked right up to him. And I said, you know what? What's your problem? And we just had this really intense. It was an intense conversation, but it just, it, it didn't, it didn't go down the natural path. It didn't go down that habitual, Hey, let's duke it out. Hey, let's have this shouting match. It was, it was cutting through all of that emotional, whatever, right to the point of, Hey, you know what? We got to figure this out. And, and it really, he really responded to it. He really was like, Oh, okay. Well, this guy's not, I mean, some, Oh, and you can see that it really shook him. And we ended up being really good friends for the next like three years. So that was just one of my own personal stories where it was just like, I took that moment to take a larger view and to be very, very mindful of what was going on of the, the whole process to, to almost remove myself and observe from the outside. And then when I did, I could make a proper decision that, you know, changed the whole entire direction of the evening direction of the next three years. So what a great story. That is fantastic. Aaron, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who's influenced your mindfulness practice? Uh, well, I have to say my Tai Chi, Qigong, and meditation teacher, Bruce Francis. I mean, that's that's just no matter how good I think I get, every time I go and see him for some training, it's 
he always takes me to the next level and shows me a how to stay humble, but B that there's always more out there. There's always larger and larger spheres of compassion, larger and larger spheres of, of everything. So how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, it's been instrumental in me, me not ending up in jail and me not ending up, uh, you know, I'll have to say me not ending up dead or very, very miserable. <laughs> um, I, I, I struggled with depression a lot when I was young. And the more I got into uh, these mindful practices, the more that took me out further away from that. And um, yeah, I just... For me, the anger and the depression uh, com- comparison or the, the, the connection, uh, that was really prevalent when I was young. And then the mindful practices are what really, A, helped me mitigate that so I could live a normal life without being miserable to my fellow human beings. But also now they've taken me to that next level where I no longer deal with that issue. That's no longer an issue for me. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. Uh, it's, it's, it's huge. It's one of the pillars that we build everything that we do on. Um, the particular tradition that I teach is called Taoist longevity breathing. And the main focus of that is to be completely present with your breath and then how you can maintain that presence and just deepen not only the length of your breath, but all of the different qualities, all the qualities of, of uh, depth, the qualities of smoothness, and just remove any and all gaps that relate back to your consciousness through that. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be? Um, I was a really big fan and great follower of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's material as a, as a youth. Um, I'm more of a, of a Taoist perspective now. So again, I have to pay homage to my teacher. He's got a great book. It's called the, uh, the Tao of letting go. Um, and it's just the basic introduction method for his meditation practices. But I'll have to say it was really well laid out. It was really incredibly intelligently designed and that any person, regardless of ability of where they start, can pick up this book and with just a little bit of dedication can work through and develop some really great life skills that could help them. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Test, um, test several methods. Um, don't just fall in love with your very first method. Um, use all the methods and, and really test them. Um, be your own laboratory. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just go out there and scratch the surface of several and find what really works for you. And that can be a practice in its own self where you decide that you pick four different practices that you want to work with and you take a week or a month or whatever your particular time period. And then you work through it regardless of any kind of resistance you have. And that will really reflect what's going on inside of you, and it will help you really understand why you resist that particular practice. And then at the end of that, 
you know, you will know what type of practice very clearly, what type of practice is going to be best for you, whether it's a more forceful, directive, mind-focused practice, or if it's more of a, of a, a breathing, just allowing practice, you'll get a, you'll get a clearer sense. So I just find people really end up falling in love with their first practice that they have, which may or may not be the best on the shelf. Right. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Aaron, it's been great hanging out with you today and learning so much about what you do. I'm really impressed with how many people you help because, you know, we all need help in life and that's been your passion is helping people. And Aaron, how can Mindful Tribe contact you and learn more about what you do? I have a website. It's uh, appliedenergyarts.com. Um, I have basic information about who and what I am and what I do. Um, other than that, it's, you know, send me an email at, um, applied energy arts, Gmail, um, or just call me on the phone. I mean, I've got my kids all day they might be running around making noise in the background, but I'd love to talk to anybody or everybody who's interested in just use figuring out new and innovative tools to help themselves lead better lives. That's great. Well, thanks again, Aaron. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate what you do. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.